I've known about the raft for a number of years now, and I've always thought of it as a shelter for homeless youth. And that is how it started in 1992. Over the last 30 years, it has developed and grown into so much more than just a shelter. I'm talking to Mike Lethby today, and Mike is the executive director of the raft. Hi, Mike. How are you today? Doing well, thank you. I want to start with an overview about the raft. Um, it's a program in Niagara for youth. And I, you know, I always thought it was just sort of kids who were troubled, kids who were homeless, and that it was a shelter. But raft is a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah we've really been uh, growing. Uh, so just kind of give a, a quick overview of how our how our growth has proceeded. I think it's the best way to sort of explain what we do and why we do it. Started off in 94 as a drop-in center for, for youth in St. Catharines. Um, there are a number of kids that were living underneath the Burgoyne Bridge at the time. And so the community thought, well, this isn't appropriate. We should do something about it. And that's that's really the genesis for the raft. Uh, and then for about a decade, most of the 90s, we were a drop-in center. And then starting in the early 2000s, uh, the federal government uh, was giving out money to build shelters, capital money. And so at that time, the RAF thought, well, you know, although the drop-in center were really, kids are still at the end of the day, they're going back out on the street when we close at 10. So uh, they they took advantage of that program and that's when we opened a shelter. And so at the time we had four beds and then I, I showed up on the scene in 2006 when we had about 10 beds. And then a year later, I bought a new building uh, and we opened a shelter for 24 beds because we'd seen the demand increase, you know, from four to 10. And, you know, and, and although we had 10 beds, we were actually sticking people in corners. We were actually servicing about 12 to 15 kids a night, actually, at that time. So, you know, we moved into a larger shelter thinking, OK, well, more space, more capacity. We can finally uh, offer enough service. Uh, and then quickly what happened is we were just full again at 24 beds. And so that's when we really had to do a deep sort of review of why we exist, what our mission is, what are we actually achieving? Um, and through that review, we, we found a couple things. A lot of the kids from, we thought we were servicing kids in St. Catharines, but we found that actually quite a, over 60% of the kids were coming from outside of St. Catharines. So all the way from Fort Erie to Wayne Fleet, all spots in between. Uh, and we also found that uh, the majority of the kids that were coming to us had been in high school immediately before uh, they became homeless. So basically, they had to drop out of high school as a consequence of becoming homeless, not because they didn't become homeless as a consequence of not being in school. Right, right. right? So is some of this growth um, due to kids, more kids being homeless, um, or is it is it the fact that kids who were homeless who were really flying under the radar because that is what happens with a, with a lot of the homeless and the 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 number is sort of stays steady so are are we seeing you know, to me when i'm out um in st catharines what i see are more and more kids yeah so there's actually less youth homeless today than there was back in 2008 so for the so in a normal, uh, a normal demographic of homelessness, uh, homelessness is roughly 1% of the population. That's sort of the rule of thumb. 
And then in that 1%, uh, anywhere from normally 25 to 35% of the homeless population is you. And we're in Niagara, it's now at 8%. So wow, why, is, why is that? Well, that's the uh, that's the prevention. Like that's it's the all story. because of raft. You can t- you can yeah. say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we we definitely had a big piece in in reducing that number down, um, and, and in fact, the, so well that uh, our model is now a national model, and uh, we've been working with communities and agencies across Niagara to duplicate our efforts and and uh, basically uh, embed our model into their service delivery. And. Um... And so, and then that that's being adopted in other communities across uh, across Canada. Canada. Yeah, that's that's really great. Now, are are most of these kids? Tell me, when you're saying that um, they they don't become homeless, for example, and then drop out of school, something happens where they leave school and they also leave their their home. What are what are the issues that these kids are dealing with? Is it mostly drugs, for example, because that, you know, we see a lot of kids, especially in metropolitan areas who are using drugs and we sort of assume that's why they're on the street. Yeah. And I mean, that's a that's a pretty, pretty common. I mean, there's there's mental illness, uh, drug use, um, poverty are typically like affordable housing are typically the the main uh, reasons that people assume homelessness exists, uh, but in fact, they're more they're more tangential to the actual issue. They're not really the driver. In fact, homelessness is more a driver of those issues than those issues are drivers of homelessness. Um, but the real issue, especially for youth, and but I mean across the board, this would be true for all all people who are homeless, is really a lack of attachment um, and a increase in social isolation, which is which is also the reason why when you open more beds and you just open more shelters, uh, you end up just creating more homelessness. So shelters actually create homelessness uh, through their operation as opposed to ending it. So uh, you could follow a community's homeless rate. Every time they open a shelter, they will increase the amount of homelessness in their community. Right, because these kids are... Yeah, so these kids are looking for a different kind of community and they can find that community and and kids like them. Uh, Let's talk a bit about... Sorry. Just uh, it's not really a different type. They're not actually looking for like to say it isn't like they're saying they're rejecting the their community is rejecting them and they're forced to uh, accept a homeless community. So it's it's very it's very much not an individual choice on that. Hey, I'm I'm choosing to live outside. It isn't. It's more of my option is now to live outside. Okay. Now, part of your, um, I think it's the Reconnect program, helps kids make that transition back into living in a in a uh, in a home situation, not necessarily back with their family, but in some sort of home situation where they then can progress into getting a job. And uh, so, how does how does that program work? Because I think that that was one of your first big programs that you, that is, you launched. That's, that's the, so that Youth Reconnect program is the, is probably our most successful program. And so that, that program alone uh, has accounted for an over 70% reduction in, in shelter usage uh, that I've seen. So for example, in, when I opened that 24 bed shelter, we had uh, almost 500 kids stay with us that year. So 500 individual. Uh, and then last year we had 94. So we've seen a, 
significant reduction in the number of kids accessing shelter. And Youth Reconnect is, is a main reason for that. And it's a very simple uh, idea. So once we recognize that a lot of the kids were actually coming to St. Catharines because uh, they burnt out their local supports and there were no direct supports for them in those communities because most homeless services are based in larger urban centers, it forces them to migrate. And by migrating, it, it, they had to drop out of school because they can't go to school in Fort Erie and, and live in a shelter in St. Catharines. Um, so it forced them to migrate, forced them to drop out of school. If they had any positive peers, uh, they had to leave those behind as well. And so that's all part of that isolation process. They're isolated, they're suddenly isolated from school, they're isolated from peers, and they're isolated from their community. And so Youth Reconnect really uh, sort of circumvents that whole thing by being able to supply service in their home community. So we have workers uh, geographically based. And when uh, a student is identified as having some kind of housing issue, uh, we are invited in, we meet with the student, often with the teacher or, you know, another school official who's sort of involved in, in that student's life. And we basically determine what level of crisis they're in well, with the goal of maintaining their residency in their home community, maintaining their school attachment. And so they can stay students while we're working through this housing glitch. And I'm, uh, I'm obviously there are mental health issues that these kids are struggling with and, um, and for a lot of them, uh, drug addiction, which is not uh, unusual at all when you get into a situation like that and the emotional pain is so great exactly. that you, you know, that's often, you know, there's always that thing, which came first, homelessness or drug addiction, which came first, mental illness or drug addiction. It's so tied together. It's, it's really hard. So who, who do you work with? Do you work with Pathstone, for example, to um provide mental health services for for the kids yeah it's really uh, depending on i mean there's path zone would be one for sure gateway uh cmha niagara um so we, we it really depends on what's appropriate once we work with the youth to determine if that's and again and we would only offer that actually if the youth wanted it so we we're focused strictly on the housing okay um, and so it's really uh, driven by the, what they want in their life. So we're not, we're not suddenly going to load their life up with all kinds of meetings if that's not what they want. So unless they're indicating that their mental health or their addiction is to a point where it's causing them a problem, then we would reach out to community partners. Otherwise, we, strictly, we focus strictly on housing and school attachment. So that makes sense to me because these kids aren't necessarily, obviously there are kids who have mental health issues and need that kind of help. But yep. I, I understand from what you're saying now that that is not the, the for your for your group is not the main reason why they have left home, left school, and then find, find Raft and the support they need there. You have other programs now, so you've expanded beyond the shelter. And you do things, you have programs for kids um, even as young as six. Yeah, so we, um, about a decade ago or more now, we started, uh, we were doing community development work. And so we were working in different communities uh, within the Niagara region, sort of developing, um, you know, developing community, right? Building capacity within community. And we had a, a number of different programs uh, that were kind of neat at the time that were very community led. So the goal was, uh, sort of meet the community where they're at, determine what the community would like to see 
uh, and then work with the community to, to recognize that vision. So one of the things we did um, was a, a mural on the train station in Western Hill. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the train station there in Western Hill. It's over by the TRW. I, I drive by it almost every day, but I haven't seen the mural. Is the mural on the St. Paul Street side of the of No, the it's station? on the passenger side, so where the train pulls up, the mural's oh, okay. Along. So I'll go down in there one day and take, yeah. a, take a look. Yeah, and was and that done by the kids? That was. It was a community effort. So we uh, it was a paint-by-number. So the community – so the, the really neat thing about that project is Western, Western Hill, Western St. Catharines, uh, especially at the time, 15 years ago, was going through, it was very interesting where you had old Western Hill, which had, you know, a number of issues with poverty. Um, but then you had new Western Hill, which was actually quite affluent. And the train station was a natural meeting place for both groups because the train station is physically located in what we'd consider old Western Hill. However, because of Go uh, and that travel and the line route, uh, that station now is sort of the gateway into St. Catharines, either for people leaving to go into Toronto or for people from sort of the Gold Horseshoe coming in. And so it was a natural meeting place for these two communities, which largely didn't communicate. They literally, it's, it's like you cross the street and it's a whole different neighborhood. There wasn't a lot of, right. And so it was a really interesting project in that we were able to sort of, uh, identify something that was important to both communities that was a shared resource in their community and so that's the the mural because there's a lot of graffiti um and so the mural was determined as a way to both express the pride in the community for people coming into the city but also as a way to ensure that uh you know when you invite someone over you clean up right so uh people didn't want to be embarrassed about this is your first view of our community right everything's just tagged everywhere exactly. so what does the what does the mural look like what's in it it's, it's really cool. It's a, uh, I believe it's four panels. It's been a while since I looked at it, but it's four panels, four or five panels, each panel representing a historical event in the community uh, related around the uh, train station. So for example, one of the panels uh, depicts, um, it's where all the soldiers left. That was the debarkation point for people heading east to Halifax and then ultimately on uh, to Europe for the war. So there's a uh, you know, and it's all based on historic records. So these actually, it's photographs that we've now turned into mural. So this is, there's an actual photograph from the standard, you know, showing this picture of all the soldiers lined up, loading on the troop train, leaving. That's one of them. There was a circus, uh, there's a, uh, an annual circus that used to occur in the community and they'd bring in all the circus animals by train and parade them through. So that's one of the panels. Uh, and then the Queen's visit back in 56, Six, I believe, or maybe it was slightly. It was uh, it was one of Queen Elizabeth's first visits. Uh, or actually, no, it was the opening for the um, for the Queen, the QEW. So it was yeah, the, yeah. the mother, right? Mm -hmm. um, the Queen Mother, uh, their visit. Uh, so it's it's deflecting these sort of scenes from from that community that they were proud of. That is so cool. It's a really yeah. And yeah. It was a really cool project. It was paid by numbers. So everybody came and you got a can with a number on it, like each paint color had a different number. And then on the mural itself, it was uh, all the spots were, were sort of indicated by number. So you just walk around, if you had paint one, all the ones you painted within the lines for the ones. And, and so it was, a, it was a really good event, probably had a couple hundred people involved um, over a few days. And uh, yeah, and it's- And you and literally could have kids who were even younger than six, 
It oh, was yeah. at the low, the low part of it where, where they could reach. Yeah. It, well, people brought, it was a family event, right? People brought, it was something, it was just a really cool project. The community really embraced it. It was, like I said, and it came from the community and it met a community mantle. It was, it was basically a perfect project in my eyes. But our, our real work with uh, kids in that is we, we were actually working with Niagara Regional Housing. So there's some large family uh, communities uh, where it's basically, it's, it was an older style of community planning for, for social housing where they would create this sort of the, the idea of the English village. So it's like this kind of self-contained community, which ended up uh, now being seen as maybe not the best practice in development of community because uh, it, it was just too, too, much, too much density in one space. Um, and so these communities have struggled. And so we worked with those communities also as community development to determine a lot of it, these family communities are often parents with multiple, mostly single parents, mostly uh, uh, single moms with multiple children. And what we were finding is that there is a, a real desire for youth programming that was accessible. And although there are many programs in the community outside that were free, the problem is when you're single, single parent families, often the eldest sibling co-parents the younger siblings. Yes. And so they physically couldn't leave their community uh, to take advantage of these programs because they, they couldn't take their siblings. And so we worked with, once we identified that as an issue, we worked with Niagara Regional Housing. Niagara Regional Housing actually took one of what would be an apartment uh, and opened it up to us and we turned it into a community hub. And so we run youth programming for all ages. So basically from you know toddlers through to teens uh, out of that, like, all year round. And the nice thing about it is that now the the eldest child can actually bring their siblings with them because it's it's literally in their neighborhood. They walk out their back door, they walk into our front door um, and they can participate in some of the best programming available. There's not there's nothing um, cut rate about it. It's, it's, it is excellent programming. We do regular field trips where we uh, introduce kids to the Niagara region and, and quite some of these communities have a lot of uh, high level, high population of newcomers. And so, again, we're really looking to build that. You know, it's a shame that if you've lived in Niagara, but you've never had a chance to see Niagara Falls. Yes. Right. So we do stuff yes. like that where we and the and all the farms. Right. Like really the things that make Niagara like the reason why we all enjoy living here. We, we want to share that with the kids. And, and that's how we build community. And, that, and so that program has been excellent. Uh, it, again, it met a need. Um, and it's, it's just been a fantastic program. The United Way funds uh, a large portion of that. The United Way in Niagara has been, a, has been with us since the get-go and is uh, a main reason why we've been able to get that program uh, running. And also uh, Jumpstart Charities uh, really comes through in the summer uh, to allow us to make sure. And it's all free, right? That's the key. Uh, there's no cost to participants. Well, and, and the uh, just to go back a little bit to the elder child, if you have a single parent who's who's and often has to work longer hours to support their family, and when you are the eldest child, you are not able to even connect and socialize, uh, much less go to programs, but to connect and socialize with friends because you have to go home immediately to be there for your uh, siblings, and then you know that kind to me says, well, in some cases, or maybe many cases, that elder, elder child says, I can't do this. And they end up leaving the home. Yeah. And that's, um, that's exactly it. 
You've, yeah. like, you've nailed it right on the head. Yeah. Yeah. Now, part of, and I want to just talk about this so that people understand that um, how donations can, how important we know donations are important to every um, uh, social service um, organization like the RAF. But one of the things you do is help subsidize the cost of housing for mm -hmm. these kids who are trying to reconnect and and move into a, a, a living, an independent living situation, where, whether it's a room or it's a small apartment. Exactly. So not everyone. I mean, our first goal is always to try and connect you back to natural supports. So that's kin and family uh, and friends, right? Uh, that's not always possible. There's sometimes it's, it's actually not a good environment uh, to go back to. And so uh, we're very careful about working with you to make sure that it is an appropriate and safe place to go and sometimes family just isn't um, and so in those cases we need then to look into the regular sort of private market um, to find you somewhere to stay and you know and this is where the affordable housing so really i i can chart i can i have charts where i can literally see based on usage of my shelter and links of stay where uh in 2015 the links of stay in our shelter just started to skyrocket and so that was really where I see the beginning of the affordable housing crisis in Niagara. That was really the beginning stage for me, uh, was 2015, uh, absolute game changer. And so that's when we really, again, we had to do a pivot, really look at like how we're delivering services, how can we be effective? And that's where the rent subsidies really started to come into play is that, um, you know, OW, so a single on OW, it's like 730 some odd dollars. And that's supposed to cover not only your shelter, but also your personal needs. So, you know, your food, your clothing and what have you. So, you know, if a room, you know, if a, if a room is coming in at $700 a month now, well, that's your, almost your entire check taken up just in your accommodation. There's no room for food or anything. So uh, that's where rent subsidies come in. So we're able to, to help make the uh, rents affordable again so that you can actually achieve some guy because it's all about stability. We're not, we're not looking for you to stay, uh, you know, in the room rental for the rest of your life with this is the key here is to provide you stability so that you can now build on to sort of move yourself forward. Right. Ontario, OW is Ontario works and oh, yes, that's, yeah. that's, um, our, that's our welfare, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, just to sort of finish up here, what would happen in those kinds of situations is that on $735 a month, you help a, a young boy or a girl start to transition into these places. Well, then they don't have the money for food. Like you said, they don't have the money for clothing or to even go out and do something fun. And they yeah. may end up back where they came from, which is back on the street homeless. That's, that's, that's how kids end up. Like it's, it's not enough just to get someone in if, it, if we're not setting them up for success. It doesn't make any sense. And the longer, the more often the system fails a person, the less likely they're going to actually engage in the system. And that's ultimately what's driving the encampments. Is anyone living in an encampment, I can guarantee you, has been failed by the system multiple times. And basically, why would they believe us? The, you know, if we keep pulling the carpet out from underneath people, and then say, oh no, we, we'll do it for you and then do it. Why, why would you trust the system is actually gonna meet the needs 